come up and do. <laughs> you don't sit down, Kieran. Um, come up to do our reading. Um, so today's readings from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the side of the mountain and sat down. Jesus' disciples gathered around him and he taught them. God blesses those people who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. God blesses those people who grieve. They will find comfort. God blesses those people who are humble. The earth will belong to them. God blesses those people who want to obey him more than to eat or drink. They will be given what they want. God blesses those people who are merciful. They will be treated with mercy. God blesses those people whose hearts are pure. They will see him. God blesses those people who make peace. They will be called his children. God blesses those people who are treated badly for doing right. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. God will bless you when people insult you, ill-treat you, and tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. Be happy and excited. You will have a great reward in heaven. People did these same things to the prophets who lived long ago. Thanks, Kieran. And now I'll invite Sarah up to give a, a bit of an intro for Jules. <laughs> just been changing nappies, so. <laughs> um, so most of you, or some of you will remember Julia and Sam who came to dedicate Anya last year uh, when we were at the um, other facility, the other building. Um, so they are a really special part of our lives. They've been dear friends for a very long time. And yeah, it's a uh, real privilege to hear from Julia. Um, she's a very gifted communicator. Uh, some of you may have re may remember her from Sticky TV many years ago. <laughs> um, I don't know what else to say except that she loves the Lord, she's passionate and she's a great communicator. So <laughs> come on up. <laughs> I wasn't giving any, any warning actually. Is there anything else I should say about you? She's married to Sam, got three beautiful children. That sounds good to me. Okay. Sounds like a great introduction <laughs> and um, quite encouraging and lovely. So thanks. <laughs> I don't know why you couldn't have introduced me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so Sam and I came, my husband Sam and I came down a year ago for, almost a year ago, because eh, it was her, her first birthday and Anya's just about to turn two and, um, and did the dedication for Anya. Um, which was cool, and I'm stoked to be here again today. Um, and I'm looking forward to sharing some um, thoughts with you. First of all, as a little bit of an introduction, um, aside from what Sarah said, my husband and I work in Auckland for an organisation called the Venn Foundation. Some of you have heard of it. Um, but basically, we create space and time for people to come to different um, programmes um, and think deeply about what it means to live a faithful life. And so one of the events that we run once a month in Auckland and Wellington is called Space. And on a space night, we create space for people to connect with God, hear a little bit of teaching, um, reflect on their lives, reflect on their faith, etc., etc. And each year we have a theme. This past year, the theme was the Beatitudes, which you've just heard. 
Um, and so the first Monday of each month over the past year, we have hosted an evening where we've invited people to come along and learn a little bit about the Beatitudes um, at the same time as reflecting and, and time for, for prayer or different sort of different spiritual disciplines in that space. I was allocated a couple. One of them was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And this is what I'm going to be talking on today. So it will take a slightly different shape to the normal Sunday church service. Um, I'm going to speak a little bit and share some of the learnings um, on the topic, but then I'm going to actually lead you in a uh, guided reflection, and then we'll finish up with some sung worship. So just to set us um, in the right place in Scripture, we're looking at the Beatitudes which are found in Matthew 5. Jesus has removed himself from the large crowds. He's walked up a mountainside with his disciples and he started to teach them. He goes on to teach them on many, many things and this becomes known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are at the very beginning of this sermon. Now there's loads that we could look at and um, as I was preparing this, I read so much around the Beatitudes. Um, I have loads of books that I can recommend. But I want to focus in on the fourth beatitude, and in particular on what it actually means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hunger and thirst are some of our deepest, most intense desires. So blessed are those whose deepest cravings are for righteousness. Blessed are those who are already living that way, but there's also a little bit of a call to action here. The Beatitudes are an announcement of wonderful news and a promise of things to come. They will be satisfied, it says, but they're also a reflection of Jesus' character. And we're called to become more and more Christ-like. So as Christians, we are actually called to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what if we don't? Or how do we know if we do? And do we even have the power to change what it is that we long for? Can we even trust our own desires? Isn't it more reliable to trust the things that our mind knows that it knows that it knows? Well, Jesus asks of his disciples several times questions which are essentially saying, what is it that you want? Will you follow me? Do you love me? James Smith points out in his book, We Are What We Love, which is one of the books that I would highly recommend, that he's not asking in these questions, what do you know or what do you believe? He's asking about our wants, our desires, our longings, our hungers, because these things are at the core of our identity and it's out of these that our actions and our behaviours flow. His command for us to follow him is a request for us to align our heart, our desires and our longings to his. We're blessed to hunger, to thirst, to crave for a world where he is king of all, aka the kingdom of God. We can listen to sermon after sermon, podcast after podcast, attend conference after conference in order to learn more about our faith. And these are all good things. But we can't think our way into the right hungers. Smith says that Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just form our intellect, but forms our very loves. 
He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. But the truth is that he doesn't always have our deepest wants. We're often hungering and thirsting after that which is not righteousness, not the kingdom of God, not Jesus himself. I wrote an article about eight years ago when I was pregnant with my first baby who, who was a girl and so the, um, the information that I read and learned about as writing this was really important at the time. But it was on the early sexualization of girls in our culture. I was actually writing it at your house. I remember, I can remember feeling ridiculously embarrassed about how upset I got about my computer cord not being there because my computer died. You probably don't remember that. It's not really that important. <laughs> um, but it was really eye-opening for me, and I think it's a great example of how we can be shaped, to f- um, shaped and formed to long for certain things. Many women in our culture end up desiring to look and behave in a way that makes them appear to be sexy. It's really hard to escape this because from day dot, the water that we swim in is telling us that that is the good life. To be desired by men is the ultimate. Now, we're formed to long for this through images that we repetitively see and stories that we are repetitively told right from when we are young children. By using that repetition, the world forms us into the kind of people who want to be sexy. Or it might be the kind of person who is financially well-off, safe and secure. Or the kind of person who is recognised for their great achievements. And it's the covertness of this operation that makes it so powerful. Our hearts are being formed without us even knowing that it's happening. We are being taught to love things other than righteousness. My point is that we have been created to long for something. And we know as Christians that that something is God. Augustine says that since our hearts are made to find their end in God, we will experience a besetting anxiety and restlessness when we try to love substitutes. To be human is to have a heart. You can't not love. So the question isn't whether you're going to love something as ultimate. The question is what you will love as ultimate. And Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5 that you'd be doing pretty well to have that ultimate love be righteousness, to be leaning towards, longing towards the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the thing that gave me a little wake-up call as I read Jamie Smith's book. We might not love the thing that we think we love. We might not be hungering for the thing that we we think we are hungering for. We might be working towards, loving towards a talos or a destination that we're not even aware of, but that is governing and shaping our lives in unconscious ways. So how do we have our eyes opened? How do we see the truth? I think firstly we need to have humility, which is often the beginning of of everything. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God. We need to ask him to give us insight and then we actually need to be brave enough to hear it. And then I think it's important for us to understand that our ultimate longings are actually learned. 
And they're learnt through practice, repetitive practices and habits. So what are our habits? What are our rituals, our liturgies? Where and how are we spending our time? We unconsciously learn to love rival kingdoms like power and success and money because we don't realise that we're participating in rival liturgies every day through the repetitive nature of images and stories that are in our faces. We don't get a choice about those. If you drive past the bus stop, you see the image repetitively down the same, down the same road sometimes and, and on multiple days on your way to work or school. So we need to consciously and repetitively participate in liturgies, practices or rituals that teach us, teach our hearts to love righteousness, that teach us to long for the kingdom of heaven. So I'm talking about prayer, worship, Christian community, church, reading or listening to scripture. Jamie says, I'm a first name basis now, James K.A. Smith, Jamie, says that these practices are pedagogies of desire, ways of learning desire. Not because they're like lectures that inform us, but because they are rituals that form and direct our affections, our heart. They teach us what to love. So our part to play in forming our desires is to intentionally choose to participate in these practices. But the cool thing is that God then also does his part. Smith says, worship works from the top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes us and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts reforms our desires and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do, it is where God does something to us. Prayer, scripture reading, worship, they are counterformation to the rival liturgies that we are completely immersed in as a culture. These practices that we submit ourselves to in Christian worship are God's way of redirecting our loves towards the kingdom. It's actually just not that complicated. It's not that super spiritual, but that the traditions that have been passed down through the generations in the church have been passed down for good reason. And I think we all have rival kingdoms in our lives. As Sarah mentioned, I worked in children's TV for a long time as a presenter, and being immersed in that culture and in that environment, it led all of us, it shaped all of us to be longing for more recognition, for more fame. Hopefully I've dealt with that, and that's not what I'm after these days. (laughs) But I know that there will be many rival kingdoms that I'm actually unaware of in my own life as well. But I trust that as I ask him to, God will reveal those things to me. And then he'll help me to recalibrate. And then I'll probably do it again because I'm human. But he'll rescue me again because he's God. And that is our story by his grace. So as we head into a new week, I'd like to encourage you to reflect. Pray, journal, think, What are the rival liturgies in your life 
that are forming you to hunger and long for things other than the kingdom? And secondly, what are the counter-liturgies that you are participating in, and do you need to change some of what you're doing? What will you actively do to train your heart to love and long for the kingdom? One thing that you can do right now is relax and make yourself comfortable and enter with me into this guided reflection. Hopefully it will actually help with starting to reveal some of the things that are under the surface in terms of what it is that we are all hungering and thirsting for. So make yourselves comfortable. I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. This reflection will take about 15 minutes. So if you're up for it, close your eyes to minimise distractions and tune your ears into what it is that you can hear and what it is that's being said. Feel free to jot any thoughts down that you have along the way. Um, and I'll just grab a, I'll just grab my phone as a timer. It's in my handbag down there. Make sure it Thank you. And allow your imagination to be led back to the day where Jesus walked the earth. You're in a village in Galilee. There are a lot of people around, crowds, but your eyes are on only one. You've been following Jesus for a while now and you've seen some incredible things, things that are unexplainable, things that make you want more of him, that make you hang off every word that comes out of his mouth. In looking at him now, you see him notice the crowds. He's not just looking at them, he's seeing them, truly seeing them. He looks up towards the mountain that the village sits beneath. He pulls himself away from the crowds, invites you and the other disciples to follow him and begins to walk up the mountainside. You begin to push your way through the crowds it's hot and dry and dusty. You rub up against the warm scent of other people as you make your way through. Eventually, you have some space as you begin to follow Jesus away from the crowds alongside his other disciples. There's a sense of expectation in your heart as you climb. You know why he's leading you up a mountain. He has something important to say. Moses, the old teacher that you've heard so much about, went up the mountain to bring down the law. Maybe Jesus is going to do something similar. You're not sure exactly, but you know you don't want to miss it. As you continue to climb, the sense of anticipation grows. What words of wisdom will be poured out from this man's mouth? This man who heals the sick. This man who says that the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus slows down and comes to a stop just ahead of you. The other disciples gather around and you find a place to settle down. You look around and take in the view as you recover from the climb. Jesus. 
Jesus starts to speak. All eyes turned to him, every ear tuned to his voice. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Your mind takes you back to the story you know so well of Jacob and Esau. Jacob tricked his dying father into giving him the blessing that was meant for Esau. Esau's weeping could be heard all over when he realised what had happened. A blessing is something we cannot get ourselves. It comes as a gift from another. You look around you and see people whose stories you know. Friends who mourn, who have lost what seems to be everything. But Jesus is saying they have God's blessing. People who are poor in spirit, friends that you know who certainly don't have it together spiritually, but they have God's blessing. And you know your own story. You know how you mourn. You know what you grieve for. You know that you're poor in spirit. We all are. But you have God's blessing. This is upside down. It's not the meek who get anything in this world. It's not those who are mourning or poor in spirit. This is bottom up. But this is good news. Deeply good news. You look up again and catch a gleam, a twinkle in Jesus' eye. He's enjoying delivering this good news. He continues. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. God blesses those people who want to obey him more than to eat or drink they will be given what they want. Blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting as to righteousness because they will be filled to satisfaction. Great blessings belong to those who want to do right more than anything else. God will fully satisfy them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's approval, they will be satisfied. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will satisfy them fully. Those who want to do right more than anything else are happy. God will fully satisfy them. How blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because it is they who will be satisfied. 
happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Those who are hungry and thirsty to be right with God are happy because they will be filled. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. Wonderful news for people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. You begin to realize that, yes, he has that twinkle in his eye because he is bringing such good news. But he's also calling you into something. You're here on the mountain because Jesus has invited you to follow him and you've chosen to do that. I want to invite you now to shift your mind back to the present. You're in a church in Hamilton in 2020. And it's time now to actively choose again. Will you again choose to follow? Will you again choose to listen? What we heard from Jesus on the mountain does not follow the world's wisdom. Are you ready to consider the possibility of thinking differently? What does it truly look like to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Ask God to show you what you might actually be hungering and thirsting for. Don't rush away from this. Open your heart to what it is that he has to show you. It might surprise you. What is it that you might actually be hungering and thirsting for?
What is it that you are hungering and thirsting for? Take these things that he has shown you and hand them back to him in confession. Jesus sees a vision of another way of being and he's inviting you to see it and live it with him. He sees a vision of another way of being and he's inviting you to see it and live it with him. What might that different way of being look like for you? How is he asking you to live? How is he asking you to live?
one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the